Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And uh, I just want to thank everybody that tunes in, watches, listens, and reads Must Read Alaska. We do this for you, basically. That's why we do this. So we hope that you enjoy reading, watching, and listening to Must Read Alaska show. Um, I do want to uh, always give a quick reminder that folks can download our Must Read Alaska app. If you go to the App Store on your iTunes um, phone or your iPhone or your Android phone, just go into the App Store, type in Must Read Alaska, and uh, we pop right up. It's a free app. We put a lot of time, money, resources into that app, and uh, you can use it for free. The only thing we ask is if you like it to potentially give us a five-star review. I know that's a lot to ask, but all you got to do is click five uh, stars. You don't even have to write a review. And the same goes for the Must Read Alaska show. If you like our show, if you're listening on Pandora, maybe Spotify, maybe you're listening on Google Play, iHeartRadio, the list goes on, and you enjoy our show, please just take you know, five seconds out of your day and leave us a review. It'd be very, very helpful. We have a lot of reviews. We have, I think, uh, 670 written reviews, which is a lot for a little teeny show in Alaska. And uh, we continually are very popular all over the globe because of folks like you. So that's pretty awesome. We're very excited about that. But without further ado, I have a very special guest today. Donna Ardrin is one of the nation's most successful veterans of state budget management and tax reform and has been the director, uh, the budget director for many governors, uh, from Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, to the New York governor to uh, former governor Jeb Bush to our governor Dunleavy. And if there is ever a state budget expert in the U.S., Donna is it. And she knows everything there is to know about budgets, where people are hiding money and overspending and underfunding things. She is it. So welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Donna. Well, thank you, John. I just want to say that it isn't a lot to ask people to go on your app and give you a five-star rating. You and <laughs> Suzanne do so much and give so much away for free that um, I don't know where Alaska would be without you. So please thank take you. the time to that. do that. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited you're on the show today. You've been a guest a number of times, and every time we have you as a guest, our numbers seem to skyrocket. So you're very well liked in Alaska from the Must Read Alaska crowd. So um, let's get your take on what a balanced budget looks like. I know that's kind of a can of worms question, but I think it's very important because I think it's oftentimes a question that maybe gets overlooked by folks that are just um, going out and voting for somebody, maybe in the state house, maybe in the state senate, maybe for governor, maybe for lieutenant governor. Maybe they don't even have a picture in their mind what a well-balanced budget looks like. You've been around a couple of budgets in your day. What's your take on that? Well, my definition, um, as we used with uh, Governor Dunleavy in the first budget that he put out, and I believe the House Republicans have adopted since then, is sustainable, predictable, and affordable, um, which I prefer to use to balance because 
balanced, budgets can be balanced by raising taxes, <laughs> yep. only temporarily. They can only be balanced temporarily by raising taxes because then you diminish your economy and then you've got to raise them more and you diminish your economy and you've got to raise them more, which is what California has been doing for years and years. Um, so th that would be a better definition. Affordable means your economy needs to afford the government that it uh, has. In order to be affordable, the economy needs to afford the government that you have. And there's only so much government that a private sector can afford. And after that, you're going to just kill your economy with the size of government. So um, you, we've touched on this before, maybe in one of the first times we had you on, but I think also this is very important to, to um, get your perspective on because I think your perspective is the perspective of an expert. There's very few folks that exist in the United States that are as big as the budget expert as you are. And so what's your take specifically on the Alaska budget? I, you know, I think yeah. so, a lot of conservatives, you know, they think it's too much union, too much this, too much that. What do you think that the Alaska budget is too bloated? You know, give us your thoughts. Yeah. So I was thinking just now about some slides that I had um, at a presentation up in the um, Matsu recently. The so Florida's government spends a quarter of what Alaska spends per capita. Florida's economy is enormous and growing. People are coming to Florida in droves. Alaska's economy cannot afford the size of government it has. And, and that government has very little overlap with the economy. So the, all of that government that you're paying for in Alaska, and I know you're paying for it indirectly, so it doesn't feel like you are, but you are, because it's money that's not in private hands. And so all of that government that you're paying for is also not efficient. In Florida, you have not only a much smaller government, but that government is efficient toward working for people to um, not be dependent, not to have welfare dependency, not corporate welfare dependency, not to embolden in, in, uh, enlarge and employ unions. In Alaska, you get just the opposite. Huge government, crushing out the private sector, and the government that you're paying for is not doing anything positive, not anything, but not a lot positive for your, for your economy. Yeah, I think Alaska has one of the worst economies uh, in, the, in the United States. We're you know, consistently 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, and things don't seem to be changing. So to, to your point, um, you know, we hear things like from the Democrats, well, we need a, we're going to need an income tax to offset some of these high permanent fund checks. When you hear things like that, <laughs> does it make you cringe off of an already bloated budget? Well, cringe, multiple cringes. Uh, first of all, <laughs> even when Republicans talk about to pay for your dividend, the permanent fund pays for your dividend. It should never be conflated with the budget at all. If they're talking about raising an income tax to pay for government, which is a more legitimate discussion, I would say you're raising an income tax to you know, put the final nail on the coffin of the state, the state's economy, which is already the worst in the country or one of the worst by any measure. And a state income tax Income taxes kill good economy. So 
So it would be the worst thing that you could do. So um, do you think that there's hope for the Alaska economy? Do you see, um, do you see, you know, is there room for big cuts? I mean, you're, you've opened the books, you've seen the books, probably more than most people that will listen to this show. Is there room for big cuts, drastic changes still in the Alaska budget? There's room for overhaul ch- policy changes to the budget. And good policy and good budgeting go hand in hand. So I like to not think of it as cuts as much as when you improve your policy, you become more efficient. You become more effective and you become more efficient. You'll need less government if you're doing the right things with government. Again, look at Florida. Look at Florida's reading scores compared to um, Alaska's. Uh, Mississippi just did it. West Virginia is doing it. I mean, there's, you know, talking about school choice, for example. And uh, and those things just make you um, not only more efficient, but they'll improve your economy at the same time. And by the way, when you improve your economy, you can afford more government, but you can't crush your economy with government programs that make people and and corporations dependent upon your state, state government. Um, When people become dependent, of course, we've seen this nationally now as well, but you've had that going in Alaska for a long time. And when people and corporations and your businesses are all dependent, um, not for profits, you have so many of them dependent upon state government, then you're spending money to your own detriment. So let's not talk about cuts, but let's talk about overhauling some policies. In addition to that, you know, there's a report that it just came out. I was just taking a look at it on your economic development agency. All of these so-called corporations that are part of state government are, I might have talked about this before, but they're off the books. There's no oversight of them from the legislature and they're spending money to the detriment of the economy rather than improving it. So there's a lot you can do without having to do things that, reducing money for things that are important. Yeah, these quasi state governments that, get kind of like a blank check cut to them uh, with zero to little accountability uh, are supposed to be helping the private sector. But oftentimes I think they just replace the private sector and it's um, just more and bigger government essentially. Right. Right. And, And well, let's even talk about the permanent fund corporation made some news lately with its investments in FTX Yep. Right. And what oversight is there that, other than the board of the Permanent Fund Corporation, which I think has some explaining to do about that? I mean, not not just that they made a risky investment, but the investments were being used to fund Democrat candidates around the country. So where's the oversight on those things? Um, do you know how much money the Permanent Fund Corporation is spending? Every year on expenses that don't go to dividends, hundreds of yeah, millions. Yeah, pro- probably a lot of money is my guess. Yeah, more than more than any Alaska would like, and you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. As I hear you just said would probably, you know, make the Alaska average Alaskan cringe and want to do this because they would just be furious. No, it should be going to Alaskans in the form of a dividend. So uh, we just had elections here 
in Alaska, which you know most places around the U.S. did. Um, it's it's looking very, <laughs> very uh, not high hopes for Alaska in terms of you know having a Republican in the majority and being able to get stuff done in the House and the Senate. What? How do you think that plays out budget wise? You know, if you have a House that maybe doesn't have a majority coalition of conservatives uh, that usually tend are the only ones in the room that think fiscally conservative and you know that in the house and the senate does that make it usually very hard to pass any sort of meaningful policy like you've been talking about well um on the bright side you just reelected a republican governor right i mean you didn't get bill walker up there um i still have um hope i know your voting system is crazy but i think on Thanksgiving, do we find out who the ranked choice Twenty third, yeah. Basically. Um, so I have hope. I have hope that you can get a Republican organized house, which would be fantastic. And I think that, you, you know, working with the governor, they could get a lot done. The If that doesn't happen, in Alaska, you have a very, very strong minority. If they can be the minority that um, upholds vetoes, the governor's vetoes. So even a house minority can work with him on doing those things. Yeah. You know, I just, if, if there is anybody listening that's in the house, that's a Republican, I just want to encourage you to stay strong because um, even if you can form a coalition and you're just have barely enough people to form it, the conservatives in Alaska would be very appreciative if you um, stay strong with your, um, you know, very small numbered coalition. We would really, really appreciate it. The minority did that last year, but we have a chance to have the majority this year. And that would be awesome if we were able to do that in the house. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I just heard, I just heard Kathy Tilton on a, the Michael Duke show and she gave me a lot of hope. I mean, she sounded very positive. Nice. So um, what about, you know, uh, national elections? How, you know, let's, let's get your take on, how does not necessarily elections, but how does the U.S. sustain these enormous budgets? Some would argue that even Donald Trump had um, some pretty big budgets um, under his uh, tenure. How do we sustain this? It seems you know the debt just seems to be racking up. You know, from COVID to just big, huge budgets, and you know, college tuition checks that were out, you know, potentially out for four months before that judge killed it. But these budgets are just nuts. How do we sustain, you know, $16 trillion or whatever it is in, in de deficit as the, as the, um, supposed to be one of the leading countries in the U.S. or in the world? Yeah. So it's, it's similar to what we just discussed on state budgets, that the economy needs to grow to support the size of the federal government. And as long as you have policies that even if the federal government is spending more, they're also growing GDP even more, um, then they can sustain spending, not Biden kind of spending. But, you know, Trump, part of the deficits came from cutting taxes initially. But if those tax cuts were left to continue to grow without the spending growth that Biden brought us then you could have your GDP growing at, say, 4% a year instead of being in a recession. Um, then you could sustain the size of government that, say, a Trump had 
um, but certainly not what we've seen lately. Uh, you mentioned the student loans, and we were talking about elections. Of course, that was a potentially sort of brilliant political ploy, yeah. but got a lot got a lot of young people um, deceived them. But got a lot of young people, you know, this hope that this was going to happen for them, and perhaps they, you know, mailed in, took the time to mail in a ballot, which they normally wouldn't be, you know, showing up in person. And but they were deceived, and people were deceived with the strategic oil reserves and. So there were a lot of things that happened in this election that aren't sustainable. And I think that a couple of years from now, we'll have strong leadership and we won't be, these deceptive policies probably won't be able to catch the excitement of of young um, liberals across the country. That being said, um, bright spot and the election was, now we found out that we have a majority in the House of Representatives, Congress. Woo-hoo. Yeah, and well, and Kevin McCarthy, Speaker, uh, he was the um, GOP leader, the minority leader in the um, California Assembly when I worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he did a fantastic job, you know, pulling together policies from a minority. So I really nice. so you you've seen yeah. him in action, able yeah. to accomplish some things. Yeah, he's going to have a rough time going back to economics. I mean. To your point, got to pull back on the spending. Can't keep doing these Biden-esque policies. But at the same time, um, things are probably going to get worse before they get better economically. So he's going to have to, you know, hold hold down this spending, despite Biden and Chuck Schumer, and at the same time probably get blamed for further recession that was set in place. Oh yeah. For, over the last two years. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough time for him. But um, it, uh, Arthur, Arthur Laffer, who I have the privilege to work with, one of my favorite people on the planet, says, always says it took us a Jimmy Carter to get us Ronald Reagan. And that makes us hopeful. Did we freeze up, John? OK, <laughs> so no, we're good. He said it took us Jimmy Carter to get a Ronald Reagan. And he said, in fact, Ronald Reagan wasn't Ronald Reagan before Jimmy Carter. When he was governor of California, he did not govern like he governed when he was president. And it was because Jimmy Carter era woke him up to, okay, we've got to do these things. It's, it's, we can't just appease people. We can't keep going along to get along. We've got to make changes. And I think that uh, our next president, who will surely be a Republican, will um, have that same vision coming out of this Biden era, which is arguably worse than Carter. Yeah, hopefully that's a, a Ron DeSantis, because I think he would make a awesome president and um, he can excite some of that young base. And, um, you know, I know Trump's probably going to run again, but um, Trump, you know, it's going to be tough to beat Trump, but uh, DeSantis, man, he's got a lot going for him. And and uh, I hope that uh, he keeps at it because, man, he offers a lot of hope and also humor to to politics. He is good with the one-liners, man. It's pretty and, funny and he's guy. he's not the only one. I mean, it was, it was a tough night on governor's races, but we still have a number of fantastic governors around the country. We talked about our great governor's book with the American Legislative Exchange Council last time I was on. And if you look at it, there's so many terrific governors. Oh, yeah. um, we hoped that we'd get more. 
but again, there was, you know, a lot of um, high expectations going into the election and it made us all feel bad afterward, but a lot of good things happened. Again, Florida was a shining spot. There were other states. Ohio's governor got elected by even a higher margin than uh, DeSantis. We got um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in uh, Arkansas, which is, of course, yeah, a red she's state. Awesome. But she's awesome. Of course, yeah. we still have Christy Nome and those who weren't, um, we weren't worrying about her on the ballots um, this last time. Um, so there's and, a lot of And Nancy states. Pelosi doesn't have a job anymore. So and Nancy Pelosi doesn't have a job anymore. So and there were so many, there were so many bright spots. I have hope. Also, we talked about these last minute sort of ploys um, and the timing of the Roe decision, right? Which I mean, they, the Supreme Court did absolutely the right thing. Should have happened back under the Nixon administration, but it was constitutionally the right thing. But people are confused. They think it means that. No one's ever going to be able to have an abortion or get birth control or whatever the messaging was. And that'll die down in the next couple of years because, you know, it's just all the decision did was put the decision back to the states where it belongs. And some of them will have drastic changes. Here in Michigan, there was an abortion um, amendment on the ballot. And certainly that hurt Republican candidates. But I think, you know, that's not going to be happening in a couple of years. So my last question is, is this, Donna, if you could have the the governor, the the Senate president and the uh, Speaker of the House for Alaska in the same room and they said to you, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. The one thing you tell us to do with the budget, what is the one thing you tell them to do with the Alaska budget this year? I just get one, huh? Um... (laughs) And they'll do whatever you tell them. You can't ask for more wishes. That's the only thing. I'm trying to figure out how to turn everything I want into one thing. (laughs) How about just do everything that Florida does? Nice. Is that a one? Can I count that as a one thing? That is. That counts as one thing. Because, you know, uh, you'll probably tell me the exact number, but I think we're what ranked 49th in your reporter somewhere around there in terms of being one of the worst economies Econ- in the country. yeah economies yeah, yeah. and in in the grading the governors he was in the uh, he, 30th or something in, like that he was in the 30s but you yeah. know like i said on the show there were 12 communists behind him but um a lots of, of room for improvement that's what I said. Lots of room for improvement. And but the point is, you know, the re- the reason we wrote the book is to help give governors and state legislators a, a roadmap to how to improve. And it can happen quickly. So all of the policy variables that we put in there are things that governors and legislators legislatures can concentrate on and find ways to really improve their economic outcomes, their reading outcomes, et cetera, in a short period of time. We're seeing other states do it. So it's absolutely doable. And so maybe maybe my answer should have been just read our book as to what I would tell. What <laughs> it I is, would it's, tell. A, it's, it's a roadmap, if you will, to how to how to get on the right track. Yeah. Well, I, I really I really like Florida to your point. I think DeSantis did a tweet um, a couple of days ago that said, as people are still counting their ballots, you know, Florida counted 
you know, 7 million ballots, declared a state of emergency and had a hurricane all in the same week. And we got there <laughs> and he counted their ballots, you know, in seven hours or something. In seven hours. I mean, you didn't even yeah. have to wait until bedtime. He knew who yeah. the winners were going to be. Uh, when I worked for Governor Jeb Bush, he it was after the 2000 recount debacle. And he said, we're going to fix this thing. And he did. And of course, DeSantis has even further improved that with taking, you know, people who aren't citizens of Florida out of the election rolls yeah. every year. There are things that, again, Alaska just follow what Florida does. And it's not the only state that has great policies, but it's the one I like to talk about because I spent so much time there and because they're doing so well. But yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do in Alaska. So Donna, any last minute? Notwithstanding ranked choice voting. Oh my gosh, yes, ranked choice. That's a whole nother half an hour segment, right? So um, any last minute thoughts before we take off here? The floor is yours. So hopefully I'm, I'm showing some optimism here, both for the country and for Alaska. I, you know, if you, if you go back, I tell my friends who are sort of in mourning after the election. I mean, first of all, we, we set our expectations high. Um, some of us economists helped do that because we knew a recession was coming. We knew in, inflation was coming, but we were kind of worried that it wouldn't happen. It sounds bad. I don't want it to happen at all, but it was coming, um, that it wouldn't hit until after the election. So the fact that it did helped us raise our expectations that people were going to get it, go to the ballot box and, and vote against high inflation and high gas prices. But uh, my optimism is that we're going to get through this in a couple of years and prove everything. If you go back a year or so when we didn't have these high expectations and we said, guess what? In the midterms, we're going to take over the U.S. House. We, the, the conservatives, Republicans are going to take over the U.S. House. We'd have these shining spots like Florida that give us hope. We almost win an election a governor's election in New York, in Oregon, where they have the disadvantage of losing Republicans every day that are moving to other states like Tennessee, uh, Nevada, who picked up a governorship, by the way. Um, that's because all the Californians are moving to Nevada. So Californians are losing Republican voters, but Nevada's picking them up. Even so, Oregon and, and uh, New York almost got Republican governors. So those are bright spots. In Alaska, I would have said, you know, right now you've got leaders, you've got uh, your Congress people didn't change much. I mean, Don Young wasn't exactly a conservative. Um, you have uh, Governor Dunleavy again instead of Bill Walker. Your House may well go to Republican control. So if we hadn't had those high expectations, we might have been celebrating. Yeah. Um, this election, but that's my my voice of optimism. Well, all in all, I think we did all right. I, I think um, I'm I'm optimistic, like you are. You know, I think the um, the uh, Obama had like a super majority back in '08 or '09 or something like that. He had the Senate and the House, and in him in office, and we're sitting prettier than that. So we can't always get everything we want, but if we chip away with at it and we look at, you know, the big win for me. And as I've talked to my friends is Nancy Pelosi doesn't have a job anymore. And so that's, and we have a conservative governor and we'll take, we'll take the, we'll take those wins and we'll keep trucking well, on. I, I would also say, sorry, but um, I'm ranked choice voting. 
Yeah. Um, although you may not be able to get rid of it in the next two years, people will understand it. You know, I was listening to Suzanne and uh, Bernadette Wilson on uh, when they were hosting the Dan Fagan show. I think it was last week I called in. And but, uh, you know, Bernadette was so oh, she's always so smart, but she made this great point that people don't understand it. They think if they rank more than one person, they may be splitting their vote. And let's just say that if you could forward fast two years and people understand it, they'll understand that if they vote for the top two Republicans, say they're far more likely in the congressional race to be able to get a good solid Republican in there two years from now, instead of uh, the Democrat. Yeah. If if, um, people would have fully understand ranked choice voting and if all the um, Nick people ranked Sarah and all the Sarah people ranked Nick, we would have a Republican right. as our congressman or congresswoman. Uh, and, uh, you know, ranked choice voting was so new. I, I don't necessarily blame it on people because it's very, very, very new. And it was. Oh, I, I'm I, not blaming people. I'm blaming oh, yeah. the confusion, confusing yeah. you know, system that was put into place by certain folks. But. My optimism is that when people really understand it, given some time to understand it, it could work to your advantage. Yeah, definitely. If if, if people can understand it and game it out, um, then I think the you know we'll have both sides gaming it out. But it'll be better than what we had this year, which is basically nobody fully understood it, including myself at times. And I've read all thirty-eight pages of the thing, and I'm just like trying to understand this thing. So. Anyways, I appreciate it, Donna. We really, really appreciate you coming on the show. You're one of my favorite folks, and you are you are the expert with state budgets, in my opinion, in the U.S. And so I really appreciate all the work you do, all the work you've done here in Alaska. You stay connected to folks here, which I know that all the uh, fiscal conservatives very, very much appreciate. And so um, we'll have you on again sometime. But in the meantime, we wish you nothing but success. And uh, we'll throw a link for folks in the uh, podcast where they can download the book that she put together on uh, ranking all the states and all the governors and where we sit in terms of our financial position. And uh, it's a very, very interesting book. So I encourage people to go click on it and download it. We'll put the link, like I said. And uh, until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere Alaska. Everybody have a phenomenal weekend and stay safe out there in the uh, blistering cold. Thanks so much, Donna. Thanks, John.